I'm Mark Caro, and welcome to episode 66 of Caro Pop. Our first live Caro Pop event takes place Wednesday, January 18th, when I'll be interviewing actor David Pasquese from Veep, Lodge 49, and the TJ and Dave Improv Show. It's at the club's space in Evanston, and table seats are just $12 a piece. If you're around on January 18th, please don't miss it. Our Carol Pop guest this week is an accomplished solo artist who also happens to co-lead a popular band, Brendan Benson. I first encountered Benson's work with his 1996 debut album, One Mississippi, which I reviewed for the Chicago Tribune. I'm drinking tea. If it's good enough for me, then it's good enough for you. The singer-songwriter's music was right in my wheelhouse. Tuneful 60s-influenced pop with 90s energy. From the brief kinksy opener tea through the demonically rousing sitting pretty. Gorgeous acoustic Emma J. Take my hand and let it begin. Open your heart and let me in. I remember being excited when I heard Emma J in the Bill Pullman Ben Stiller detective movie Zero Effect. It was another six years before his second album, Lal Paco, was released. That album kicks off with the indelible power pop of Tiny Spark and also includes another mostly acoustic stunner, Metairie. Get a life. Put it in your song. His third album, My Old Familiar Friend, showcased more instantly memorable tunes, including Cold Hands, Warm Heart, and What I'm Looking For. Well, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know that I just want to look some more. And I won't be satisfied till there's nothing left that I haven't tried. Ladder would have an afterlife in an iPad Touch commercial. So, all these catchy, insightful songs, but had Brendan Benson become a household name with a bunch of hit records under his belt? Alas, he had not. But one day, he was hanging around in Detroit with his friend Jack White, then in the White Stripes, and played him a demo of a new, unfinished song. The music was done, and Benson had a first line. Handed the song off to White to finish, and they recorded it with bassist Jack Lawrence and drummer Patrick Keeler of the band The Greenhorns. Turns out they had formed a supergroup of sorts, the Tours, and they had their first single. It was a hit, as was the 2006 debut album Broken Boy Soldiers, which was recorded in Benson's home studio. All of the songs were credited to Benson and White, as the band offered a happy collision of Benson's pop sensibilities and White's bluesy anarchy. The band toured worldwide and Broken Boy Soldiers received a Grammy nomination for Best Rock Album. Another Benson album, My Old Familiar Friend, followed, as did another Tours album, Consolers of the Lonely. The Tours single, Salute Your Solution, received more airplay, and Consolers received another Best Rock Album Grammy nomination. Fast forward to today, and Benson has released a total of eight solo albums, including the recently released Low Key, on which he plays almost all the instruments. The new album is yet another example of Benson's ability to marry deep character insights with sticky melodies on songs such as I'm miss the plane and people grow apart we don't have to be enemies but we can't be friends the lead off track ain't no good is a particularly potent earworm he also offers a sublime cover of jerry rafferty's right down the line it was you won't 
Jensen and Jack White both live in Nashville now, and they released a third Rackham Tours album, Help Us Stranger, in 2019. In this freewheeling conversation, which Benson conducted from his home studio, he tells of why he moved from Detroit to Nashville and the effect it has had on his writing. He now regularly is called on to co-write with country artists and other songwriters. What were his most memorable songwriting collaborations? Benson also reflects on his first notable collaboration with Jason Faulkner of the band Jellyfish. They worked together on Benson's debut album before things went south. What happened? How did he wind up working with Robin Hitchcock on Hitchcock's latest album? Does Benson consider his songwriting to be autobiographical? How does he like working as a solo artist versus being in a band? Does he feel like he has recovered from the trauma of the pandemic? Is he going to tour behind his latest two albums at last? Should we ever expect another Rack and Tours album or tour? Brendan Benson is as thoughtful in conversation as in song. Please enjoy this Carol Pop conversation. This is only temporary. These songs are my worst habits. My looks and my skin and my temper. This town, this place I call my home. It's me just purely. Is this your home studio? Is this where you recorded uh, low key? It is. When did you when did you build this out? Just like a few years ago, right? Um. Well, now it's. I think it's been a been four or five years now, maybe. Um, and we actually just moved into this house. The previous owner uh, was a photo- photographer, so he used it as his studio. And when we came and looked at the house, of course, I was like, "Oh shit, I like that. That that's cool. I could I could do something with that." But I didn't actually do anything with it. <laughs> Like I said, I would, I didn't build it out, like soundproof it or make, you know, or, or do any acoustical treatment. So if I play drums in here, the whole neighborhood hears me playing drums in here. (laughs) Are you happy with how the stuff sounds though? I mean, you, I mean, you played everything on this new album in this room. So yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah. Thank you. I, yes, I do. I like the way it sounds. I mean, I did do a little bit of acoustic acoustical treatment, it really kind of does sound great. I mean, without doing it, you know, much else to it. Now, of course, my, uh, Michael Ilbert mixed it and that guy is the master. Right. And, and dear life, your previous album you recorded here also. Yeah. Some of it, it was kind of my old, my old place and the new place. How long have you lived in Nashville, by the way? 15, 16 years, maybe. So were you still living in the Detroit area when you moved down here? I was, I was, ha- and I was having kind of a, I was having a hard time there, a bad time, I should say. I, I, I had some run-ins with just, you know, some desperate people down there. Like I got, you know, assaulted and oh. robbed and, and then just some home robberies too. And it was stressful, man. It was just a stressful period. So it was also when the tours were, um, we were, recording we had recorded the album in my in that in my house in detroit in the attic so when the raconteurs started you know kind of started practicing for uh touring like rehearsing for tour i started looking around too nashville because we did that and we did that in jack's new house we practiced in his house and uh i was looking to get out in you know uh detroit and i found this cool place i thought and uh, bought it. And I remember trying to, you know, like I bought it and then immediately we left for tour. So I couldn't like 
do anything. I couldn't like, I don't, I don't even know if I stayed in it. I was staying with Jack at the time. Every time I'd come home, you know, for like a weekend or a week, maybe I'd decorate my house. You know, I'd get in there and try to find stuff to hang on the walls. I had nothing. I didn't have anything. So I just remember trying to decorate in a frenzy <laughs> every time we'd, you know, every time I came home from tour, it was fun though. I liked doing that. The story that I'd read, which has been repeated a lot, was that you had sort of the beginnings of Steady As She Goes. You had the the music of it in the first line, but the two of you were still living in Detroit at the time. And then you started collaborating and that's how that whole project came through. And then you both ended up in, ended up in Nashville. So there must've been something about, you know, some pull from that city that was sort of beckoning well, both think, of you. I think, uh, I can't speak for him, but I think for me, it was the kind of smallness of it at the time, it was still kind of a small town feeling, but it had, you know, the industry, the music industry was pretty well represented here. You had like lots of studios, lots of musicians for hire. You had, I mean, I say you had, cause it's not quite, it's not like that anymore, but at the time it was very kind of small town with all the resources you needed, you know? And Granted, it was country. It was all, of course, very country centric. Still is, I, I mean, I guess. But you know, con- the definition of country has <laughs> become all encompassing. <laughs> it was. It just had. It just had that vibe, like you know, kind of growing up in Detroit instead of New York or Los Angeles. You know, or Los Angeles really is kind of the. I guess. I guess what I'm comparing it with. <laughs> well, that's sort of more that you're more sort of typical musician pilgrimages as they go to New yeah. York or they go to L.A. You know where you know it sort of depends which part of the pop rock world you want to be on. I exactly. guess exactly. Um, Their first and, mistake, I think. By the way, <laughs> I think you're probably right about that. Um, yeah. And stay, uh, stay where stay where it's working, where you're thriving, where you're you know, or whatever is happening to you that's making this magic happen stay there don't change don't change it you know when I, wish you were gro- done, I wish i'd done that when you were growing up listening to what you were listening to would you have ever thought oh i'm gonna end up in nashville no like not even not even because of what i was listening to i mean just in general just thought i, I think about that a lot i think just wow the young my younger self like there's if I had told, if I could tell him, you'll, you'll wind up in Nashville staying, you know, having, kid, <laughs> having kids in Nashville, getting married in Nashville and no way. In fact, I remember seeing it on tour, coming through it on tour. Occasionally I'd play Nashville, I think. Um, and when I did, I just remember it being so grim, like just like music row was kind of very I was like, really, that's it. You know, that's, that's the whole country music birthplace. Well, not really the birthplace of country, but, uh, you know, a certain genre of country, I guess. Right. Um, the fabled music row is just the yes. little row of, you know, buildings. Yeah. And it was just that a little row of buildings, <laughs> but then the rest of Nashville was kind of like, the, you know, the pits. I think it's, I think it's okay to say that <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was pretty bad. You know, I played the exit in or the end or something like that. And just, there was nothing around there. And so it was just one of those stops, you know, it's like, ah, man, playing Nashville. (laughs) So to think I would move, you know, have a life here is pretty, pretty unbelievable. Well, I'd seen that Robin Hitchcock ended up there and, and, you know, from the kind of music that he makes and that I listened to, I wouldn't have thought of him and Nashville and, and then, you know, his new album shuffle mania, like, 
I looked at the credits and there you are playing with him on Shuffle Man, the first song, and then one of the yeah. other songs on the album. So, you know, clearly it's not just a, a country music thing anymore. No, I don't think so at all. I think it's quite the opposite. It's kind of, it's kind of a, a lot of different kind, you know, a lot of different types and they all kind of, it's funny though, cause they all do get that country bug a little bit. They come here, you know, like we, I should say, we come here and, and tend to, uh, we'll tap into our country selves, I guess, you know, like a little bit. Um, I do it. It's, it's, I kind of hate it now because I do it almost by default. I kind of start singing in this country voice every time I sit down to write a song, I, you know, <laughs> and it's weird because I've been, you know, I've been co-writing a lot, not, not recently, but I've co-written while I've been here in Nashville. They also, the fabled co-writes that you have in Nashville with the country artists are trying to get a cut on a country artist record, you know, and it's just bizarre. It's just kind of a bizarre world but i think that almost it kind of influenced me a lot it made me start thinking more like that when i write a song <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible i gotta stop it immediately yeah i mean i was gonna ask you like how much of where you are affects what you're writing and how you're writing well i never used to think it did but clearly we're by our us talking about this stay put don't go to don't go to los angeles and and how Nashville brings out the country in you. Um, clearly, I I think differently. I now I think it's matters a lot where you are. It, it it'll seep in. It'll get in. I don't know. I just thought, man, I played the kind of music I play, and I can do it anywhere. Put me anywhere, and I'll just do it. But the problem is, I think kind of when you become assimilated into that wherever you go, you know, and in this case, Nashville, kind of by not a real, not by, you know, not, not by a strong choice, I should say, you know, but, but whatever, I'm in Nashville and I become integrated into the society here. I kind of, and I'm going to the honky tonks occasionally and I'm doing that kind of thing, you know, so it's only kind of a matter of time before it gets in there. <laughs> and also a lot of the, all the musicians around town are mostly country background musicians. You might, you might find some that you can get to, you know, plug a delay pedal into their pedal steel or something and get weird. But mostly it's, it's very straight, you know, country artists, which I'm thankful for because they kind of bring a lot to the song sometimes, you know, I mean, they can crush it in that, in that world, they crush it, you know. So on low key, the new album, I mean, you're playing all the instruments, so you don't, so you didn't bring in your, your pedal steel guy to do anything. Um, I mean, something like whole lot, whole lot of nothing. I could hear, you know, that, that being played by, you know, a country band or something like that. Well, it's funny. You should say that because I was, I need to clarify that I didn't actually play everything. The horns were played by a local guy, um, John Painter he, in town here. He's an amazing horn player. He does. He's one of those multi-instrumentalists. I think he plays everything, including the French horn, which was, is pretty, always very impressive. But uh, anyhow, so he played the horns. I, I meant to say that. And you know what? I, I meant to ask you about the horns because I was the one thing I was thinking, maybe you didn't play that. I didn't see you. And they're that beautiful like, too. And I, and I'm yeah. so sorry that I think I didn't, I don't, I'm not sure I credited him on the record. Now they think about this. Wow. So I need to do a, I need to post something at least or something. I don't know. Change. We'll the change next, that. 
the repress. Yeah, yeah. Something like Whole Lot of Nothing, which someone could do a more country version of that if they wanted to, even though it still sounds like one of your songs. Right. I did my version of, I'm not even sure, my version of kind of generic, bad, (laughs) middle of the road country. Not even, you can't even call it country. In other words, I don't even know. I'm doing a caricature of something, a co-write, you know, almost. It's it's a weird, I kind of, that song, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of that song for a very long time until ultimately I just thought it was a great lyric. I'm proud of the lyrics. I don't know, man. It's a little silly. Like, you know what it's I mean? It's a good like, song. You got, you got it in the lead. You have it in one of the four corners of your, you know, album sequencing thing you got as the first song <laughs> on side two. So first song on side two is an important song. So you must've thought something of it. No, yeah, I did. I, I did. I mean, but if we're talking, if we put it in the context of country, then I have to kind of qualify that with it's not country I and mean, it's not really country, but it's my, it's my version of yeah. silly country. Nashville's very, they're kind of tight ass about, <laughs> about their lyrics and stuff. Like, I think I probably gave that. I mean, I, I'm sure I, well, I'm not sure, but I, I, I might've given that to my publisher and my publisher might've said, there's not much we can do with this because that's happened in the past where I've thought, I've thought, Oh, this is a great country song. Maybe, maybe somebody else can cut the song or whatever, but there's a very, you know, strict template for country music. It's, right. I mean, as you, you can guess, kind of, there's only certain things you can't, you want to write about, you know, that get cut. I mean, I should say, or, you know, it's not like there's verboten words or whatever, but kind of like, I remember being in a co-write for a country artist and, um, I mentioned something about, I don't know, something kind of biblical. I can't, I think in the end, that's what we called it. We're like, yeah, you know, it's too, I think I might've said referenced some spiritual thing. I, I can't remember. And we couldn't really do that. Cause it was, you don't really go there, you know, hmm. or something like, it was weird. I mean, you can say God, but you can't get specific. <laughs> <laughs> so Anyhow, so I, I think when we talk about country music, I just want to kind of say that, like, I got, because I got mad respect for those people. They're great songwriters, I think. They're uh, really great musicians. I mean, there's musicians on music on uh, down on Broadway, like at Roberts. I mean, the musicianship is just like, it's like, sometimes I feel like I'm watching Jimi Hendrix or something down there. Like, it's crazy, you know? So I got mad respect for those people, and I just want to kind of, you know, when we talk about it, just sort of, you know, just say like this, I I think that I'm not in that world and I kind of might flirt with it a little bit, but I'm not, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) they're a whole, that's a whole different world. So so how do these co-writes happen? Do they, do you get called in and and is it like someone has a partially finished song that they want you to sort of help them finish? Or is it like, we're going to sit down with a blank slate and just start throwing out stuff? It's, it can happen all of that way. number of ways um but you know the the coldest <laughs> the worst but the, the less ideal i should say is you, you know it's just a cold co-write like you, you you get you get set up with another person like your publishers might think it's a great idea to get you with this person and you guys get together and you meet and there's no time really it's you know there's like a four-hour block i think usually it's tip- typically huh and and so you meet, you shake hands and you sit down to write a fucking song. It's gnarly. Like usually you're from scratch, just completely from scratch. I mean, maybe you guys have some ideas, maybe, 
they might say, I had an idea for a title of a song, you know, whatever the farmer's daughter, you know, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's the challenge. That's the challenging co-write. Then there's other co-writes that are just like, you might know the person or do you have like a guitar in a, in a notebook and you're just like, Oh, here's a chord progression. Yep. Oh, here's a lyric. That sort of yep. thing. We got each got our notebooks or, you know, I like to write in a notebook. Sometimes they, most people write in their phones, which I find I don't like, cause I don't like looking at somebody who's looking at their phone, but yeah, yeah. you're, you're like knee to knee, you know, like with your acoustic guitars and, or maybe if you're lucky a piano or something, if, if I feel like setting up a keyboard for you, <laughs> Well, it's intense and it's, but, but mostly for me, it's, uh, the whole behind the scenes, figuring out the song can be kind of cringy and embarrassing. You know I mean? It could be like, you know, potentially humiliating, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go down a lot of rabbit holes or you go down or you try things that don't work. And, you know, that's to me very embarrassing, I guess. So these co-writes are you know, <laughs> a little nerve wracking. <laughs> well, cause yeah. Cause when you're writing on your own, you can come up with something and be like, Oh, that's terrible, but you don't have a witness. But when you're <laughs> writing with someone else, you don't want to think that that person, right. thinks, Oh, this guy is terrible. No matter how professional they are, no matter how much of a, of a writer and how much they can relate, it still never helps. I mean, it never helps. the situation. <laughs> <laughs> that shit is, it's hard, you know, it's hard to sometimes hard to, uh, live down. <laughs> Will you ever go into this and you have like an idea for a song and you think, Oh, this is like a really awesome title or a really awesome hook or lyric or something like that. And it's just kind of in there in your back pocket and you're planning to use it at some point. And then you're sitting there in a co-write and you're not coming up with anything and you sort of blurt out your good idea that you meant to keep for yourself and then regret it. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yes, actually there have been a few times where the person, you know, I've, I've kind of had to get whatever take from my, my <laughs> take from my pile of musings and stuff, you know, like cause I make voice notes a lot. So, right. which is also very embarrassing, you know, listening back to your voice notes with someone else in the room um, while you're kind of, you know, in the, you were originally alone in your car and no one, there was no one around to hear you do this. So, <laughs> and you're trying not um, to forget this thing you just made up in your head. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, those songs, that's not, that's not a very good co-write because I'm, I'm trying to control it too much. You know, I kind of like deep down, I kind of want it. This, this is, I wanted this to be my song and you have to give it up to the, <laughs> to the right. table. What was the best of these co-write experiences you've had? Wow. There've been, there've been many great ones for different reasons, but the one funnest one was, was Jake bug. He came to Nashville, I guess for a writing trip or something. Did he? Is that why? I don't know. Anyhow, he and we ended up together writing and we wrote a ton. Well, he wrote a ton, I should say, man, that, that kid was, we wrote like three songs. We, we wrote three songs for his record that ended up on his record. So I was pretty stoked about that. But the fun part was just watching him. He'd get, first of all, he'd get completely stoned during the session, you know, just smoking weed the whole time. And and some and and so sometimes he'd kind of be nodding off almost, <laughs> <laughs> nodding off almost, you know, like, <clears throat> and he wouldn't say much for a while, and I'd be kind of like scrambling, trying to figure out what the hell to do in the song or whatever, trying to write something that might 
spark his interest again, wake him up, you know, I don't know. But then he'd come to life. He'd wake up and he'd come to life and then just start singing like he was channeling some old black man from the Delta, you know, the Mississippi Delta <laughs> in the, you know, 1920s. I mean, it was just crazy. He just became different characters and he'd, and he'd sing from, you know, their voice. Like it was, I don't know, really cool, but he's all, he was also very, I don't know what's the word prolific. I mean, he, he would just rattle off pretty much all the lyrics. I mean, just making them up there on the spot. We'd listen back and, and then try to decode some or tweak them or whatever. But I mean, for the most part, it's like him just riffing. It's crazy. Is there a standout worst co-write experience you've had? Ooh, I wouldn't say if there was really, could I, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't mention their names, but yes, there have been some terrible ones. Oh my God. Not terrible. I shouldn't say that. That's dramatic. I mean, uncomfortable, you know what I mean? And uncomfortable and knowing and kind of futile. You like, you knew, you just knew it wasn't a good fit, you know, or you weren't really jiving or yeah, that sucks. Is that someone where it's like their music just doesn't coincide with what you like to do and so you just feel like it's a bad musical fit or personality yeah, you got, fit or yeah you got two different yeah ideologies maybe or something like about you know what you're going for or what the whole what the purpose of your right is you know what we're doing like otherwise i'd get you know i'd just be disappointed every time i try to just stay open to like okay whatever man it could be like i mean because people some people are lyric people or some people are mel melody people or some i mean actually it gets very specific too. Some people are hi hat people, and some people. <laughs> I mean, in in pop music, it gets very uh, multifaceted. You know, all the characters that make up a song nowadays. I mean, the worst are just when you don't, or you're not getting anything. That you know, even sometimes you're getting stuff that you don't like, maybe necessarily, but like okay, whatever. It's maybe it's kind of entertaining, you know. And then you'll get people who kind of demand that you do a lot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like give me i need a track i need tracks i need you know give me and then i'm gonna harmonize now give me another track to you know and just it's kind of gets a little silly then like like produce and write the entire song yeah kind of and then i'm their bitch you know <laughs> i'm no longer <laughs> the co-writer <laughs> so that's not so cool in in co-writing do you are you generally seen as like, oh, he's a good melody guy or he's a good hooks guy or he's a good, you know, lyrics guy or something like that? Well, I, th I, I don't know what other people think about me. They probably think I'm a good songwriter, craftsman. I think I've been called that like, a, you know, I can I can write a song, not necessarily a hit song or whatever, but and I don't have maybe necessarily all the hooks or whatever, but I can write a song. So I think that's what maybe people expect from me, you know, just because sometimes I'll work with an artist, you know, a label will say, Hey, why don't you try writing with Brendan Benson? You know, he's been around a while and he knows a little thing or two. And we get, yeah, just, you kind of get set up on these dates really. Hmm. Um, are you someone who's writing all the time or do you, are you sort of a project specific writer where if you know you're working on an album or you have a deadline, then you hit like, okay, I got to write something now. I write a lot. And then when I'm recording a record, I'm not writing at all anymore. <laughs> like, I think all my, I think all my faculties, everything is focused on now capturing it, ca record. I'm like, I just become like an engineer and I don't think as creatively, you know what I mean? I'm not, the creative juices aren't flowing. I'm, I'm more doing math a lot of time. You know what I'm saying? Like, and just trying to get a good recording of something or 
trying to figure out like how to, how to present the song, you know, what should I do here? <laughs> right. So, Which is also creative work, but it's not compositional work. It's more, right. How do you, how do you, you know, make your ideas sound the best? Right. I think that's more the, a skill that you have or you don't, or, you know, whatever. And I think I have, a, I think I have it a little bit, the ability to kind of, I don't know, see ahead a little bit in the song or I don't know what it is, or to kind of sculpt a song, you know, and I can't say why or how to do that necessarily, but some people finish the deal. Some people don't, they just write the song and they perform it. And I feel like recording it is kind of finishing it. You're done. Then now you're done with the right. song. <laughs> Do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Oh, yeah, definitely. I still play it to this day. Well, this is the first solo song I ever wrote. I remember that. What was it? Actually, I don't know what it was called. I think it was called Eat Your Heart Out. And because that's the first line of the song. But I don't play it. I didn't mean I don't play it live. But I mean, I play it just for myself sometimes. Right. You know, I think it's actually a pretty cool melody, too. And maybe one day I'll. it gets a little weird. That's why I, <laughs> I don't want to record it. <laughs> How old were you when you, when I've you never even talked about that song in an interview. So that's, that's awesome. first well, too. Were you just sort of messing around or did you think, okay, I'm going to write my first song? No, I was, I was writing songs. Like I was at, cause I, I had written songs in a band. Like I have, I had done that like in a punk band, like in a, we wrote, I don't know, you know, very simple, angry guitar, whatever, rebellious lyrics. <laughs> and then those, and that band broke up but pretty much after a while, that band, after many incarnations, that band finally broke up. And then I, I just started writing songs on my own. I thought like, I'm going to do this myself. Like the bands aren't working this, you know, this guy's grounded. This guy can't play the show because, <laughs> you know, his girlfriend or whatever he's got, you know, now he's got a girlfriend. He doesn't want to play, you know, he doesn't want to practice. So I just got sick of that, all that shit. And I realized, wait, my tape deck has do I've got a dual tape deck and I can record one guitar, one pass, like guitar and vocal, and then record it and then overdub onto that one more time. I could do, or I could do it a few times too, but it started to sound like shit, but I could overdub like a harmony to it. And once I heard that, like my two guitars together doubled, you know, and, and the harmony parts, I was hooked. I was like, okay. I don't need anybody. In fact, I'm not coming out of my room now for the next six months. Right. Leave me alone. I'm going to compose now all my masterpieces. <laughs> what What music were you obsessing about at the time? Anything and everything. I was literally, I just was eating up music. I remember that like blues, Cajun, you know, classical. And of course, you know, sixties, I love sixties music all the kind of rock bands like that or Bowie too. I mean, you know, I was just consuming music like uh, at a very high rate. <laughs> I don't do anything like that anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, I love music and I listen to music, you know, I, and I, and it's an experience for me always, but not like I used to, you know, I don't have time, I guess. I don't know what the reason is, but. Do you, do you still listen on vinyl or you listen to MP3s or CDs? Yeah, or? yeah, I do both. I do both. I mean, the vinyl is definitely, um, you know, like a treat now and then. I just, you know, oh, I got that on vinyl. I'm going to go grab that, you know, like sweet. And, it, you know, I got to go get it and bring it in here and shit. It's not very easy. And I, my turntable separate from my records. It's kind of a dumb <laughs> scenario. But 
Yeah, but I, I listen to both. I don't, I don't, of course, I prefer the sound of albums, but I mean, I don't know, man. The, that digital, the stre- even streaming sounds pretty damn good to me sometimes. Like, until I hear vinyl again, I think is when I'm like, oh shit. I, this sounds pre- maybe pretty cynical, but I do feel sorry for generations now that will not, not you know, hopefully it's, it seems like vinyl's maybe here to stay. And it's, you know, but it's still a very niche crowd that listens to vinyl, you know, or it's a small part of the population. And they'll grow, they'll grow in though. I mean, certainly like the, the, the corner record store and neighborhood place in, you know, where I live, uh, they, they keep opening new rooms with more vinyl in them and, you know, vinyls past CDs. And it was funny. So I, I remember reading to my daughters, uh, I think it was Judy Bloom's tales of a fourth grade, nothing like years ago. And oh, yeah. there was some reference and there was some reference to like, you know, he's listening to his MP3s or something like that. And I'm like, or maybe CDs, I don't know. And I'm reading this book to my daughters and I'm like, I read this when I was in fourth grade and there weren't MP3s then. And I, I looked it up and sure enough, they had updated like the book for like no modern way. music technology. Yeah. And, and I, and what I said to them and they didn't care cause they were like, you know, in fourth grade and second grade, I'm like, you know, this is a bad mistake because records, people are going to know what records are longer than they're going to know what MP3s were. So I'm, I feel I'm, like everything, everything's happened. To I'm sort of shocked that they that. edited books. I mean, I that's just weird. Like to change the technology. Isn't that a talking point? Isn't that a point at which into the in the conversation at which you can tell your child, like she says, What are records, Dad? Well, records actually, you know, Jenny, were, you know, these <laughs> discs that I'll show you tomorrow. We'll put a record on. You know, like right. dude, stop messing with shit. One Mississippi, 1996. What had happened to get you to that point? And also, that album and the one after it, uh, Lapalco, great record. And you have some co-writes on there with Jason Faulkner, who had been in yeah. Jellyfish. So kind of what's the split even then of like the stuff you're writing on your own, the co-writing you're doing, and how are those experiences different? I met first met Jason Faulkner when I moved to California um, with this girl and her roommate dated him. So that's it. We kind of met. We were just sort of in the same house a lot, same apartment a lot. I was my first time in Los Angeles. No, first time out of, well, not out of Michigan, but on my own, I had moved, I was 18 or something. I'd moved away from home, a long way from home too. And uh, so everything was just surreal to me. It's dreamlike. And he was playing at that time, he was in jellyfish and I was starstruck. I was like, holy shit. Wow. This is amazing. And I didn't play him any of my music. I had songs and I didn't play him anything. Cause he was like, there's no way. Like, I mean, he was the real deal. And I was just trying to figure shit out. And then my relationship with the girl didn't work out. So I went home. <laughs> I, I went back to Detroit. So years later, I moved again with a different girl. I moved to California this time to San Francisco. We were good. We were all good. And, um, but I took a trip. I went, I think I contacted him and said, Hey, can I send you some music? You know, it's been a long time. It's been years, but you know, I've been writing and just wondered what you thought. And so he heard these demos and he liked them. And he said, come to, come to uh, Los Angeles and I'll record and I'll, we can record them on my, on my four track cassette four track. He knew how to work that thing. Like it made him sound great. So that's what happened. And I, and I went down to, uh, 
Los Angeles and stayed with him for, you know, weekends at a time, I think over the course of, you know, probably a couple months where we just record and yeah, it was great. I mean, it, we kind of like, you know, we tweaked the songs. Like I'd had, I had demos and stuff and I think he had some ideas to, uh, about what to do. I mean, my demos were very crude. They didn't have beginnings or endings. You know, they just kind of just went into stuff. So he contributed the, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, and then of course made them sound amazing. Like put electric guitars, direct plugged in, um, I mean, drums and everything, full drums and bass, the, the, all of it. And, oh, and we made the drum, the drums were kind of, a. Uh, we got the studio, we got into a studio one day to record real drums on a song, Cross-Eyed. And, and another one, um, I'm Blessed. But the other songs we kind of make, kind of made do with like pots and pans or whatever, banging on whatever stuff. So that's pretty cool. There's, you know, a song called Cherries, I think, in, that have that. So those demos, so we recorded like six songs and those demos just incidentally were the kind of the reason I got signed in the first place to, to Virgin. And in fact, there was a, there was a little bit of a bidding war. There was, I remember I was speaking to someone at Atlantic records in New York. Um, so I was flying back and forth. I was flying to New York. I mean, it was crazy. My life went from zero to hundred, you know? So I got my, that record deal and made a record for them. And it was first recorded in New Orleans with Jason producing of course right just felt like the right thing like i mean i didn't know anything about making records but i i knew like okay if this relationship works obviously let's just go do this on a kind of in a better sounding studio or whatever and ultimately that record never made it you know i had i couldn't put it out because i felt it was not it didn't represent me it sounded like it was very slick very kind of pro sounding Jason yeah. was an, Jason was an amazing, um, you know, musician. I mean, is an amazing musician. And and then he was, he, I mean, he was my, you know, years ahead of me, years ahead of me. And so I felt like the record and I should have said this, you know, I should have, I have a lot of regrets about that time period. You know, I should have said it sooner, but I didn't. And consequently we made this record and it was scrapped. And we made it again. I made it again with a different, with different people. Cause Jason, at that point, we just lost, we just fell out. And, uh, now I think he, he was really miffed. He felt like, you know, he put a lot of work into it. And, and I was, I was, a, I was young, man. I was, I mean, I was, I was, I was, my head was spinning. I didn't know, you know, and it's your first, it's your first shot. You want your first shot to sound yeah. like you. And I don't know how to act. I don't know how to behave with these people. Like these people are like, you know, I'm thinking, I feel like they're like in the music industry. They, you know, Jason's a rock star and, and, and these people at the record label, they know what they're doing. You know, <laughs> they're like, they're in Los Angeles and they're at the helm of it all. And no shit. So was the label I mean, okay they, with you remaking the album then? I mean, they must've been since you did. Well, yeah, I got at that time, money just was flowing like water, like the whole music business was like that. Bands were getting signed. Every band was getting signed. I mean, there was everybody was getting signed and they were getting all getting like million dollar deals. It was crazy. Like, I remember just even as even as as naive as I was then, I just thought, where are these, where's all this money coming from that all these people No, This is nuts. This is a lot. <laughs> and the music, the, you know, the, the market was saturated. There was like, 
you know, for there was like 10 Nirvanas after Nirvana, there was like 10 more of them, you know? And then after the chili peppers, there was like eight of those. And you know what I'm saying? Like there was all right. these or, and all these Becks and all the, I think I was supposed to in queue to be a Beck, you know? I mean, at some point, I think, you know, somebody said that to me at the, at the, at the label, like, you know, like an, like a up and coming kind of Beck type, you know, or something like that. And I took it as much as, it is a compliment. I didn't take it that way. You know, it's like, <laughs> but I wouldn't have thought of you guys, except for the fact that you're both in the B sections and you know, yeah, yeah. You hit the B E C before B E N. Well, but. no one knew. No, I, I don't think that that person knew really what I did at all. <laughs> when that album came out, were you full of like conquer the world sort of energy? I mean, was it, was it exciting for you or nerve wracking or both? I think looking back, I would, I mean, my younger self would say, yeah, I was, I was full of moxie. I was ready to take on, take on the world, but I think that's not true. I think I was terrified and I sabotaged it every step of the way. Looking back, it's so clear to me. You know, I, I hired my friends to be in my band and my friends weren't all that great of musicians. And so the shows were, the shows weren't good. And, you know, I kind of got a reputation of he's not good live. You know, I remember mm. that at least I thought that was, that's how I felt. I don't know. You know, what else? I mean, I was also just difficult. I think I was, I think I was a dick a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be quite frank, I think I was, you know, a brat and ungrateful. And so, so it's all, it's all, it's all material for you to write songs about in other words. Kind of. Yeah, it still is. I wouldn't say traumatizing. I don't know. I see it sort of clearer now. I can kind of see how soulless it can be, you know what I mean? And how just kind of evil too sometimes. So not maybe that's dramatic. That's a dramatic word, but just not so kosher. It gets, it gets complicated, you know? Do you go back and listen to that album or just, you know, your early stuff in general? Are you able to take enjoyment out of it? Not that album, not one Mississippi only because I just don't like my voice on that record <laughs> and there's not enough bass. So, um, that bugs me and I can't, so I don't listen to it, but Lapalco, I do still enjoy. So Lapalco will come on like my wife's, I'll get in my wife's car <laughs> and sometimes my song will pop on or whatever. And those songs, usually I'll leave. I won't skip, you know, I won't turn them off, but there's ones in there. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just a weird, they'll just, I don't know. I just have a thing. They'll never be good enough. I guess that there's, I just find imperfection all the time. Do you ever, so, do you ever stop finding imperfection? I mean, are there later no. albums where you're like, okay, I got that one. I got, I nailed that one. Actually. Yeah. Dear life and low key. I'm, I honestly, I don't know if it's age or, you know, what, what's happened to me, but I feel very confident about those records. I, I feel, uh, I don't know the opposite of insecure about those records. I feel proud of them, you know, like, and I've never felt that usually it's like, I don't know. Usually I just stop thinking about it. Cause I can't bear the thought of music's a weird thing. Cause I think that you create these songs and they, you know, they're born of fire. There is, they come out of this crazy fever dream or some shit, you know what I mean? And then, and all to, then, then when it's all set and you record them and then when it's all said and done, you got to go fucking play them for like six months. <laughs> so you kind of, you have to like, you have to, you're going to get sick of them. I mean, you're just going to fucking get sick of them. Like, it's a weird way to live. Like, I don't think you're supposed to dwell on your body, your, you know, your art for that long. Like 
you know, painters don't do that. Who else does that? Like you don't. Painters don't, don't have on, to go repaint it for each yeah, room of people. But that's what I signed up for. I mean, I'm, you know, I can't complain because I mean, I, and I, of course, do. I do find enjoyment out of playing live too. After my kind of not so great experiences as a young, you know, as a youngster, <laughs> um, I think the raconteurs has helped me with that too. Just have fun playing live <laughs> and taking some of the pressure off because you're, yeah. you know, it's a super group. You're what you're one of the supers superheroes <laughs> of a super group. <laughs> I guess so. I don't. I'm not sure what my superpower is, but are you preparing a tour now? Because you didn't get to tour Dear Life because it came out in 2020. So no, you got Dear this... Life and you got low, low key. So kind of ironic too isn't it like the records that i'm most proud of and you know confident about i'm I'm probably not going to tour them i mean it's not looking like that i try i i kind of knew that going in i mean not dear life dear life i fully expected to tour and but that was that was that 2020 you know so that wasn't possible and now loki was a was a in fact a reason to tour again to a, another reason to tour so that I could really kind of support dear life. That's how it was uh, mapped out. That's how it was planned. It's like I could, I could maybe break even. I could maybe, possibly, if I got my my merch game up a little bit, you know, I could maybe make a few bucks. But it's just, and then to do all that, I got to leave my two kids who are like both in these. Well, they're always in this exciting time of their lives, but it's especially right. exciting. It's a great time for me too. I love watching them play sports. They're, they're doing sports. And so I love doing that, you know? And so it means I got to be away from that and I got to be away from them. And man, I'm 52 years old. I feel less authentic about jumping around on stage. You know what I mean? Like going, performing these songs. I mean, financially, it just, I cannot make any money touring and emotionally I'm not there either. I want to be with my family. I don't want right. to, you know, the media side has changed. The industry you know, the side media has completely changed. changed. Yeah. The music selling side of it has changed the way people consume the music. And I even hate, hate to use the word consume with music, yeah. but, but like they are kind of consuming it on, you know, Spotify or whatever. It's just, it's just a different sort of thing. And, and I don't know whether how much that affects the work that you're actually doing, as opposed to the sort of practical decisions you're making in terms of whether to tour or how to put something out and that sort of thing. It doesn't affect my desire to write music and to play music and whatever. Well, it does affect my desire to play music, though. I think like that's the thing. Like ultimately, touring is not contrary to what people might think. It's not a party ever, all the time. It's 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 fact. It's exhausting. It's you know it's a lot of traveling, but never really you never get anywhere. You never get in there. You just got to go travel again. You got to go do it again, or get on a plane, or get in baggage another baggage claim, another you know airport lounge, or another bus, or you know blah blah blah. So it's not all that great. <laughs> so you got to be making some money to do that. And unless you're, unless you're young and whatever, don't give a shit. And that sounds like awesome to you. So I, I can't really afford to not make money. I mean, I'm, I need to support my family. So. Right. No, it makes total sense. Your last song on low key is, is basically about that. Um, you know, something a little like home is, is about the experience of feeling kind of alienated on the road. Yeah. Feeling lonely. Yeah. That was going to be dear on dear life. I had, it was mixed and ready to go for dear life. And then in the end I left it off. I wasn't sure about it. Like, I just thought, Oh man, is this good? Is this, what is this? I can't, (laughs) am I just kind of goofing off here or is this, you know, a legitimate song? (laughs) It, It just took me coming back to it after 
couple of years to, to hear it. I was like, Oh wow. I like this. This is, <laughs> this is a good song. Do you feel like your writings become more kind of autobiographical over the years or is that, you know, your writing is just your writing? I don't think it's ever really been truly autobiographical. It's, it's been, well, yeah, maybe sometimes it is, but, um, most of the time I have always have somebody else in mind, you know, or I'm always, or I'm portraying somebody or something like that could be argued. You know, that is, uh, obviously it's me. I'm thinking these things up. I'm, I'm thinking that's a tough one. Yeah. I just, I just feel like I, I'm always, I'm always singing via, via a character or, right. and even, right. and even songs I hear on the radio. I think that too. I never really think like, I don't think I'm, I'm always thinking about, wow, that singer feels that, you know, or that really, is that what that singer's feeling? You know, I always think like, that's what the character in the movie is feeling. I mean, that's, it's a movie to me The the use, they sing this, they perform the song and I see a movie before me. I, you know, sense this character and all these things happening or whatever and a, and a backdrop and a, you know, a, a set and all that. So I, I rarely think of the singer, I guess, especially I, I grew up on Bowie, Elvis Costello, you know, I think those guys were, were always pretending to be other people or telling the story of another person, maybe in the first person though, you know, I, I don't know. I like doing that. You kind of, you get to kind of play these characters, really. You get to say things about yourself that, I mean, you know, you're kind of, it's weird, not really talking about yourself, but in a way you're kind of, well, you're acting. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's a pretty common misconception. It's like someone singing something and it sounds so personal because they're, you know, you're, it's your voice and your emotion and all of that. And it's like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's creativity. And the same thing. It's with, fantasy. Like, yes, you're just, writing fiction, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I can't right. read this because it sounds too much like you. And I'm like, oh, I'm making stuff up. Right. But, right. That'd be, yeah. Like a, that's a great example is like a novelist or something pretending to be a character, right. Just being in telling the story not of himself, but, you know, in the first person, like, that's what I'm usually doing. I think I thought, <laughs> right. Well, there are themes and emotions that come out. And so like, if you write a lot of regretful songs about regretful characters, you'll think, well, this, this songwriter relates, relates to these regretful emotions or something like that. Autobiographical is not, right. a, you know, to me, it means something pretty hardcore. It better be truthful. Like, you know what I mean? I guess that's where I think like it better be. There's no room for interpretation there. You know, you got to tell me how you felt, what was going on exactly. And then I, the other way, I guess I have a, I was going to describe it more as um, dramatic, really. It's just being truly kind of just being very dramatic. Like I have a inclination towards the dramatic and you can do that in music and it sounds great. You put music to it. It's so believable. You know, everything's the worst or most terrible thing, or it's the best, awesomest thing ever. I love that about music. It can, I like the fantasy. I, in fact, I don't know if I could write truly now I'm thinking about it now, like truly write a, an autobiographical song. I should try actually. When you've collaborated with Jack White for the Tours, are you writing in a similar way as usual or does that bring out sort of, do you use like different muscles for that? I can, yeah, well, I can, it's the same sort of thing, but I mean, same idea. Yeah, we'll set up, you know, we'll sit down to write or something. And But 
I'm much freer. I feel much freer to say what I want. Like, and, and even, I think I'm encouraged. I feel encouraged to get weird, to get, uh, expansive, you know, just to, I can cover it all. We can cover a lot of ground. We can do, there's not anything we can't say just as contrary to kind of those co-writes. And in fact, even the, not just the co-writes that sort of abide by the country, you know, ethic or whatever, but, even the co-writes, you know, with other, with different artists can be a little bit like that, you know, cause you're, I mean, I, I should say it's hard for me. I'm, I still get insecure. I, I mean, I'm insecure about my ideas. So it's really hard for me to say all my ideas, you know, but when I'm with Jack or, you know, certain Jason, Jason Faulkner and, or Mike Andrews, you know, I can think of people like that. I can just be truly, I can write with and be cringy if I need to be or whatever, you know, I'll be all is forgiven. Did that first Rack and Tours record change the way you then pursued your solo writing and projects? Or was it still just like, I'm going back to the other mode and, you know, I'll just go back and forth for a bit. I always learn. Of course, I learned. I, I became a better guitar player. I think I kind of lost that. I've since lost that, sadly, but because um, I didn't keep up, you know, but that's just the sheer amount of playing that I did. I became a better musician. And I also learned, yeah, I learned some lessons too in that band. Like I learned about kind of the virtue of creating a song that you can re then recreate live. Like I don't always do that. I kind of, in the studio, I've always thought, man, all bets are off. You can do whatever you want. It's uh, the sky's the limit. And then you go on tour. Then I go on tour and try to play these songs. And it's like, shit, why don't they sound right? You know, like they don't sound, oh, because I'm missing the background vocals, the shaker, the keys, the background, you know, all that crap. That's helped, but only a little, it's only helped me a little because I still, <laughs> it's a hard, it's a hard urge to resist, you know? You think there'll be a fourth Tours album? I don't know, man. I, I, I guess I'll never say never, but... um like I said, I mean, the raconteurs are all about touring. And I think, I think that's what it comes down to. I think we can all make music. I think it's about, um, does everyone want to tour? <laughs> and the kind of touring that we do, you know, is pretty kind of worldwide. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. I guess it's not always so worldwide, but it's just touring, man. I guess I'm just not a fan. <laughs> it's hard to say that because people just, they kill for that, man. They, they want you to tour so badly, you know, and I just, and I in theory want to play for them like that one, that, uh, that couple hours. That's great. You know, that's fun times, man. I think we can all agree. That's a good time, but it's the other 22 hours, man. That's just sucks. You know, <laughs> being in a, being uncomfortable, I hate to keep kind of whinging about it, but you know, I'm not young. I'm not that young anymore. I mean, I need care, <laughs> special care. <laughs> In Nashville, you could, I would think, for your own solo stuff, but maybe even also for the raconteurs, set up like a residency. You know, people, yeah. have, you shouldn't have to go to Vegas for it, right? Because right. people come to Nashville. It's a great music town. You can get a band together and you'd be like, all right, you know, I'm playing, I'm playing Dear Life and Low Key uh, these nights and I'm going to play this other stuff. The other night, come on down to yep. you know, Ryman or some club or whatever, and then I don't know. You could do like your big rack and tour show with the, the live streaming that you pay 10 bucks for or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. No, I think that's a, I think that's a great idea. And I think I have kind of a version of that in mind too, that I would like to do. So are you writing like the next record already? Or you have like other songs you're sort of thinking about or 
I mean, this no, one just came out, granted. Yeah, this one came out and I'm still, yeah. There's a, there is a period after, after records usually where I don't write as well. I don't, I stop writing, you know, when I start recording them sort of, I say that, I mean, give or take, whatever. Sometimes I need to write more lyrics or whatever. I need to change a part, but I'm not writing any new songs usually. And, uh, and that kind of carries on into the, <laughs> you know, three or four months after a record, I think like, but I think that's because of touring, you know, it's like, it's like in my mind that, okay, now you stop. Now you stop. Cause now begins the work. Now you get in a van and you hit the road. But then as I say that, I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry to be so flighty here, but but as I say that I do, I mean, I have written songs on the road. So there goes that theory. The pandemic is reflected in the writing on low key. And I'm just sort of wondering if, if we've all sort of underestimated the trauma that we've all gone through and how much it continues to affect us. Yes, I think that's true. I think we do underestimate the damage, the trauma that we uh, that we went through. I mean, in my opinion, you know, unnecessarily, I think that's really messed up. Apparently there's a work shortage now. So people don't want to go back to work, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. This is, this is, these are theories that I hear, hear about, but so like the touring game, the whole, like a lot of the touring personnel, you know, the stage hands, the, you know, lighting guys, the sound guys, PAs, all those people didn't return to back to work. <laughs> apparently so i'm told so that adds you know so it's really hard like i think i think you're right when you say you know the momentum is not really there like i think that's the reason maybe yeah well um robin hitchcock how'd you guys get connected i mean i was totally starstruck i remember the first few times we met i i couldn't i could barely string a sent you know make a sentence or string two sentences together but um Luckily, he saw through it <laughs> and still wanted to work with me. I think we just got set up. I mean, I think I knew he was in town, but I think we just we did get set up by like labels and, you know. Sounds like, but just from the credits, it looks like you're playing like a, most of the instruments on Shuffle Man, which is the lead track on that record. Yeah, that was cool. That was like he, you know, sent that track to me and said, pretty much gave me carte blanche, said, do some, do some stuff on here. Or I think he, he probably just said, do a guitar. And I said, can I do several? And can I do drums and bass? And I really think it needs this and that. <laughs> and he allowed me. Um, I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's the first time that I played that. I, yeah, like I supported Robin Hitchcock, you know, like that's and that's I keep saying it because it's so unreal to me. That's I'm I'm still very starstruck by him. I think nice. he's. I think he's just insanely cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this and spending all this time uh, talking to me. It's really been a pleasure. And I do hope you, I Mark. get to hear appreciate you play live in some form or other, but I'm not putting pressure on you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'd say Thank it. you. All right. That's it for episode 66 of Carol Pop. Thanks once again to Brendan Benson for all of his great music and insights. BrendanBenson.com for more information about him and his music and where to find it. Low Key, his latest album, is out in a limited edition 180 gram blue vinyl version. You can also listen to it on streaming services. I recommend exploring his back catalog too, as well as his work with Iraq on Tours. Hero Pop is produced by Chris Swake, who's yes, steady as they go. I'm Mark Carroll. Please follow Carol Pop on Twitter at Carol Popcast. And you can follow me as well at Mark Caro at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. Also visit the Carol Pop website, carolpop.com 
for posts about music, movies, and food, and also this Carol Pop podcast. Please share, subscribe, tell your friends, and tune in again next week for another Carol Pop conversation. And if you're in the Chicago area, please come to our live Carol Pop conversation with David Pasquazi on January 18th at the Club Space in Evanston. Go to evanstonspace.com to order your $12 table seat tickets. Thanks.